right, all right, all right. This is how this is going down. Getting started on a good old solo episode. Hello, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, the show where we talk about movies and, well, music in movies, at least in this episode, but we're going to get back to that in a moment. First things first, I'm not going to be releasing this episode in video because there's no D-Man on it. I am going to be recording this solo again without D-Man. I mean, you guys are going to be stuck listening to me talk for 40 minutes and that's bad enough. I didn't think I needed to make you sit there and watch me talk for 40 minutes straight. So we're just going to do this one solely in audio. He will be back next week and we will be psyched about it. Since D-Man is not here, I will naturally start with, well, his very favorite part of every episode's and that's got to be our shout outs. So a couple people I wanted to point out in the recent interactions. First of all, shout out to Harrison. On pie day, we posted a photo of a pie I baked and apparently thought it was good enough that it looked like a Julian pie. And so he made a shout out to Julian pies in San Diego, which is amazing. Uh, I'm not that talented, but Harrison, thank you for thinking that I am. That is always appreciated. Number two, got to give a shout out to Ryan Weinzettel, who commented on Dustin's photo saying he loved the glassware. D-Man posted a picture on St. Patrick's Day with a couple of shamrock glasses as he was having his drinks, rocking ND, no doubt. And Ryan, I'm with you. They're pretty sick. Shout out to Jazzy, who then decided to follow up and say, happy St. Patrick's Day, Dustin. Nothing for CP, just for D-Man. I'm hurt. I'm very hurt. Finally, I wanted to give a shout out to Jack when I posted on St. Patrick's Day the lists of movies that I suggested people watch. She told me that the only one actually worth watching was Leap Year. Now, granted, I thought I provided a pretty good list of films that I curated for St. Patrick's Day. Belfast, Banshees of Inishirin, Gangs of New York, Luck of the Irish, the Disney movie, War Horse, The Departed, and the only one that she seemed to like was Leap Year. So I don't know how to take that. I don't know what the rest of you ended up doing for St. Patrick's Day. I watched a bunch of movies because that's what I do to celebrate every holiday. I baked some bomb corned beef, made some cabbage and some potatoes to go with it, poured myself a Guinness, and watched some films. D-Man, I think, actually did what you would expect for St. Patrick's Day. He got out there and partied, and that just goes to show the difference between D-Man and CP. He's cool, and I'm not so cool. So that's it for the shout-outs. We're going to leave it there. We're going to jump right into this episode, because I really don't have anything else to talk about. A while back, one of our listeners asked us to do an episode taking a look at movie soundtracks. I wasn't really sure what we should do, but I figured without D-Man on this episode, this would be a perfect time for me to dive into it. Instead of putting together a list of the greatest movie soundtracks, especially since I don't have anyone else to bounce this list off of, I thought I'd put together for you a list of my very favorite movie soundtracks. I'm going to throw out a couple caveats before we get started. Obviously, I've excluded all musicals from this conversation. I've also excluded all movies about an artist or where the soundtrack is created by one artist. So like Purple Rain or Saturday Night Fever, where you have one artist making all the music for the film, we're throwing those out. We're also going to throw out those movies about artists like Rocket Man, Bohemian Rhapsody. We're going to throw out Walk the Line, right? These are films where the soundtrack to the film is based upon a particular artist's work. Those are excluded as well. So naturally, a lot of great movies with great music are just not a part of this. What does that leave? 
Well, that's what we're about to get into. I made a list of my 10 favorite movie soundtracks, and I will show it to you. Now, this is not without controversy. There's a lot of movies that I left out. Team America, World Police, threw that out because Trey Parker writes all the music, but hilarious, great score with amazing songs. But what about other ones that actually fall into the category of what we're talking about, soundtracks here? Doing a little bit of research, I did find out something kind of interesting. Actually, let me take a step back. What's a soundtrack versus what's a film score? We hear those words a lot, but what's the difference? Well, scoring is where a composer comes in and writes music specifically to accompany a film. It is designed to reflect on the emotional tone, the events on screen, the character's journey. It's written specifically for the film. Howard Shore, John Williams, Hans Zimmer. These guys are scoring films. They're creating music custom for the film. Soundtracks are where people take existing songs and plug them into a movie to elicit emotion that's tied to the songs or to help really set it in a particular time in history. Now, movie soundtracks really didn't start in this sense until the 1970s, kind of with the new age of cinema. Soundtracking as we know it now really gained life. Before then, soundtracks were songs written for a music. And we've also seen films kind of move away from soundtracking in this way in the last 10 to 15 years. So really, most of the films within the soundtrack portion of cinema history is the 1970s through the early 2000s. 2010 is kind of where things start to change. So here we go. Now, I know this is, as I mentioned before, this is not without controversy. People are probably going to get all over me that I didn't include Clueless, which is a great soundtrack, or Footloose or Dirty Dancing, which... The soundtrack's good, though I do hate the movie Dirty Dancing. And of course, American Graffiti, which, I mean, the soundtrack makes the film. But I'm not going to. As D-Man says, this is our podcast, or today, this is my podcast. I'm just going to do what I want and list 10 movie soundtracks that I love. I thought favorite was best. As I mentioned before, I don't have anyone to debate with, anyone to throw counter arguments or explain myself to. So let's just get into it. And I'll just list what I love. And if you think I'm wrong, then, well, you can tell me that I am wrong. Number 10, Mean Girls from 2004, written by Tina Fey, directed by Mark Waters. If you've ever listened to anything that I've ever said, you know that I absolutely love Mean Girls. I think it is a brilliant movie in every way. I honestly consider it pretty much perfect. And that's just because I can't find any flaws in it. It's funny, it's entertaining, and it holds up surprisingly well. And I think it did a great job of capturing life for teenagers in the early 2000s. The music is in line with the film's era. Everything is an early 2000s song. But what's really interesting about it is not entirely, but almost all the music featured in this movie is female artists. Pink, Beyonce, Missy Elliott, Peaches, Khalees, Christina Aguilera. And I think that the movie's emphasis on female artists in the soundtrack really helps to place us in the head of Katie Herring. After all, she's the hero. She's the narrator. We hear her thoughts throughout the movie. So why wouldn't we also hear the soundtrack that's in her head? And I think that's what Mark Waters is really trying to get at in the film. When you think about the movie, there's two songs that I think really jump out to me as, as a Mean Girls moments when I hear them. And the first is when we are introduced to the plastics. They're on the field and, and all the plastics come out. Pass the Dutch by Missy Elliott plays. And we learn that evil takes human form in Regina George. 
I think it's brilliant. Every time I hear that song, I immediately think of the scene where she's carried out by the guys in her gym class out to the field. We see Gretchen get hit on the head with a football. It's it's brilliant. I love it. It's funny. And it reminds me of the movie every time I hear the song. The second one that always jumps out to me is when Katie goes to Chris Isel's Halloween party and Operate by Peaches plays in, in the background. I love the scene. We see all the girls getting ready and Katie explains to us via narration how Halloween is just an opportunity to wear lingerie and put animal ears on your head and go out in public. We also see her get sabotaged by Regina, which really sets the film in motion. Those are the two musical moments that always jump out to me. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but you should watch it if you haven't. Number nine, Night at the Roxbury from 1998. This is written by Chris Catan and Will Ferrell. It's directed by John Fotenberry, and the music is amazing. In fact, if it still had clubs that played 90s dance music like that, I would be in the club every single weekend. D-Man can attest to this. There are a great many car trips involving the two of us rocking out to the Night at the Roxbury soundtrack. I don't know if it's truly a great one, but I love it. The song that I think we all remember is Hadaway's What is Love? It's the anthem for the two Butabi brothers. My favorite scene in the movie is when Doug crashes the wedding of Steve and objects to the marriage by playing What is Love on the boombox over his head. He's standing across the pool. I hope that someday, if I ever have to crash a wedding, I have have the balls to do it that way. The soundtrack was actually certified gold in the United States and it was certified platinum in Canada. It's so 90s dance. It's insane. It's a lot of fun. And you can't hear the songs from that movie without thinking about that movie. And more importantly, like the Batavi brothers, nodding the head back and forth. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. Right? It's amazing. And it's contagious. We all love the skit on SNL inspired the film. The film was just a two hour version of that skit. Whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. You gotta love the music and 90s synth pop. This one might be surprising to some folks. Number eight for me is Starsky and Hutch from 2004. Now this was directed by Todd Phillips. This movie is essentially the 1970s in a bottle. Well, at least the fun part of the 70s, you know, the, the Cold War, the energy crisis, assassinations, all that stuff is, is not there, but the fun parts of the 70s are, and this movie captures the spirit of that so well. It helps set the stage with all these songs by Johnny Cash, Chicago, Bill Withers, and the Jackson 5. But I think the greatest musical moment in the film, and really the defining moment in the film for me, is when David Starsky, played by Ben Stiller, goes into the disco dance fight, and Casey and the Sunshine Band plays That's the Way I Like It in the background. It's great. It's so essential 70s. It's one of those things that I watch that scene, and I just want to get in a time machine and go back to some disco club in the 1970s just so I could experience it for a day. I love this movie. I find it funny. I find it quotable. But the best part of it, and the reason why I think it's so memorable, is the music. It just sets the tone firmly in the 1970s. Number seven for me, A Knight's Tale from 2001. This was written and directed by Brian Heglin. And if you haven't seen this, because I know it's not like super popular, it's a historical comedy taking place in the Middle Ages. There's plenty of lines and scenes which are really plain with the audience and giving us inside jokes, especially pointing at modern times, present day, turn of the, the century pop culture when the film was released. 
but the music really helps set the movie's tone. It's supposed to be a comedy. It's not supposed to be a serious drama about life in the Middle Ages. The entire soundtrack is classic rock, and it's a phenomenal soundtrack, especially since I love classic rock. It features some of the greats, bands like Queen, Thin Lizzy, David Bowie, Eric Clapton, and ACDC. So how can that not be amazing? Those are all the best of the best. It did actually peak at 127 on the Billboard charts, and it was a certified gold album. Musically, I think that there are two moments that always stand out for me. The first one is at the very beginning of the film. They are at a medieval jousting match, and everyone in the audience is sitting there singing along to We Will Rock You. I think it's very clever since this is something that modern day audiences do at sporting events. So when we watch all these peasants and lords and ladies in, in the Middle Ages singing along to the same song, we know that we're not really looking at a movie grounded in reality. It's a fun, comedic look at life in the Middle Ages. The other one that always jumps out to me, and I totally love it, is when they go to a ball in the castle. The main character, Heath Ledger, has to show everyone how people dance in his homeland. So he starts out doing a very traditional Middle Ages dance. A troop of minstrels are playing their string instruments. As he picks up the pace in his dance and other people start dancing with him, it evolves into a more modern style. And the music in the background morphs into David Bowie's Golden Ears. And everybody's suddenly dancing in ways that they did in the 1990s and, you know, throwing up little disco arms and things like that. It's a lot of fun. But the music for me is essential in keeping the movie fresh and fun and integral to the tone. Without the classic rock soundtrack, it would read like a poorly made historical drama. Because of the tone of the music, letting us know that we're not actually watching something that's trying to truly take place in the past, we can have a good time with the characters and find what they do humorous and entertaining. Number six, Can't Hardly Wait from 1998. This is written and de uh, directed by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfond. The soundtrack did peak at number 25 on the Billboard Top 200. I totally love this movie. You know I love the 1990s. You know I love 1990s culture. And this movie captures it so well. It takes place at a graduation party if you haven't seen it. The music in the movie oscillates between diegetic and non-diegetic music. But most of it is actually part of the scene, part of the world that the characters are in. Playing in the background at a party, they are listening to the same songs that we, the audience, are listening to. Harper's Bazaar did do a list of their very favorite movie soundtracks. And they put this as number seven on the list greatest movie soundtracks ever. So someone else seems to agree with me that it's a it's a good soundtrack. There is this great line where they said, of course, you can't have a movie about the 1990s without the occasional Smash Mouth hit. And that's totally true. It's dripping in 1990s musical nostalgia. Smash Mouth, Sublime, Eve Six, Run DMC, Missy Elliott, and Third Eye Blind. The most iconic musical moment in the movie for me is towards the end of the film when the police show up to crash the party. Right as the cop cars roll into the screen, it starts playing Damn It by Blink-182. So quintessential 90s. All the teenagers drop what they're doing and start running away from the cops. Every time I watch that scene, it just takes me back to life in the 90s. It captures it so well. Number five for me is actually another movie about teenagers in the 1990s, and that's American Pie from 1999. Directed by Paul Wirtz, 
part of the reason why I love this movie and think it's so memorable is the incredible soundtrack, which is again, 1990s pop rock. And this is a really great one. It has Third Eye Blind, Blink-182, Sugar Ray, Bare Naked Ladies, Hole, Harvey Danger, Everclear, and Goldfinger. I swear, the soundtrack to this movie is like a playlist from some 1990s school dance. It's incredible. For me, this music is one of the reasons why I love this movie and constantly rewatch it. Takes me back to when I was a kid and all the bands that I used to listen to while I was riding on the school bus. The musical scene that stands out the most to me is when, you'll know the one exactly I'm talking about, and it's very well maybe one of the ones you think of. When Jim leaves Nadia to change in his room and has the webcam secretly on, and he takes off running down the street so he can go down the block and watch her change. As soon as he takes off running, Mutt by Blink-182 kicks in. It's just totally captures that feeling of teenage longing and sexual frustration and testosterone in a bottle. This is like the theme song for every single teenager trying to get laid in the 1990s. This soundtrack peaked at 50 on the Billboard Top 200 and was also a certified gold album in the United States. Again, I don't know what your thoughts on American Pie are. Obviously, we've talked about it a couple episodes back and the thoughts of remaking it and how the humor doesn't really hold up and it'd be really hard to make, but the soundtrack is so incredible. And if you haven't watched the movie, I would say watch it again pay attention to the music that is in the film and it will bring a smile to your face. Now we're getting to probably what people consider to be the really good ones. So number four for me, Pulp Fiction. 1994, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> if you have ever seen this movie, you will know that music is an essential part of the film and it shapes the style of Pulp Fiction. Tarantino has become known for the soundtracks that he creates for his films, but this is the very best by far. And I mean, I know he does it time and time again and in all his movies, you know, The Kill Bills, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but this is Tarantino at his best. He's talked about how he wanted with the soundtrack to create what he called a rock and roll spaghetti Western. And that's why he decided to use Dick Dale's uh, The Surf Thing that appears in the movie. And it's so good. It's so good. There's actually a lot of great articles where Tarantino's talked about his process of digging through his archives of old vinyl records and he puts on records and then he tries different things and different genres. His writing process is a hybrid of him rocking out to records and typing away on the computer. And he creates the style of his film by the music that he listens to. Music is integral in his writing process and shaping the tone and the style so a lot of ways, music is essential in making Pulp Fiction what it is. And it runs the gambit, genre, era, style, but it helps define the movie. And there's two songs that always stand out to me. First one is Dusty Springfield's Son of a Preacher Man. When Vincent Vega goes to pick Mia Wallace up for the date, the song has mysteriousness about it, draped in sexuality, which really complements this introduction to the character of Mia that is unfolding on screen for us. It also hints at the temptation that Vincent as a character is wrangling with as he starts to fall for her. Now, the other one that always pops out to me when Marcellus Wallace talks to Butch about throwing the fight in the background, Al Greenwood's Let's Stay Together plays. And I think it's very smart what Tarantino is doing here. Marcellus Wallace is telling Butch he needs to take the fall. 
But what he's really doing is he wants to continue this relationship that he has with Butch. But Butch breaks it off when he betrays him and throws away their trust. So this song about Al Greenwood trying to stay together and not break up with someone is really the exact same thing that is playing out with these two characters in a business relationship and a professional transaction. The lyrics to the song are about a romantic relationship. Tarantino's really doing something very clever here. This soundtrack reached 21 on the Billboard Top 200s. And actually, when you look at it, it has been charting pretty much since the film came out. In 2020, it was the tops of the Australian charts, specifically for vinyl records. In 2021, it actually reached number one on UK charts for the number one soundtrack album. Now, Rolling Stone ranks this as the seventh greatest soundtrack of all time. In their review, they say that no one can draw out the veiled menace, camp absurdity, and sweat bead sexuality on a pop song like Quentin Tarantino does. His choice of music is the perfect complement or juxtaposition to what is happening on screen. And the man is a master. <laughs> he really is. His use of music is part of the reason I think why his films have become so captivating and more importantly, why they have become such a staple of culture because he integrates the kind of audio music culture into the film that he's creating. I mean, obviously, I guess I could do a whole episode where I do nothing but talk about Tarantino, right? That's just the way it goes. <laughs> now we get into, into the tops here. Number three for me. Now, this one's a little more obscure. You may or may not have seen it. It's from 1992. The film is Singles from Cameron Crowe. I consider this film to really be the spiritual successor to Cameron Crowe's other great film, the film that he wrote, but did not direct, Fast Times at Richmond High. It's almost like he took the same characters and said, where would these people be 10 years later? And that's what it's about. It's about a group of single people living in Seattle, trying to navigate young adulthood and relationships. And the movie's good, but the music is great. I mean, it's a movie set in Seattle in the 90s, so what do you expect? It's a tribute to grunge rock, and I love it. It's amazing. And what's even cooler is Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder both actually appear in the film. If you love grunge, you have to love this movie. And I mean, I love grunge, so I love this movie. Rolling Stone ranks this as the 20th greatest soundtrack of all time. The Ringer ranks it at 13th, but I think it makes this movie what it is. The film's fine, but the music is great. It has songs from Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Chris Cornell, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden. What more could you possibly want? The album was actually double platinum in the United States. I think the song that really makes the film and takes the cake for me is Waiting for Somebody by Paul Westernberg. It's the song that plays in the opening credits and it does pop up throughout the movie. And that's the song that I always think of when I think about this movie. And it's a movie with so many great grunge rock songs. So if you love grunge, you will love this and you got to check it out. Now, number two, number two, and I'm assuming that probably Pulp Fiction and this one are both on D-Man's list. We'll have to see if he'll post it afterwards. But number two, Goodfellas from 1990, written and directed by Martin Scorsese. The music makes the movie. Obviously, Scorsese uses soundtrack in a different way than I think a lot of directors do. He uses it to place the film and ground it throughout the timeline that it's 
moving through, but he creates soundtracks that comment on the characters or the situations in the film. The music tells the story, and that's part of the reason why his movies are so powerful, I think. And since this movie follows decades in Henry Hill's life in the mafia, the soundtrack evolves to reflect the times. So it starts in the 1950s, but it ends in the 1980s. Rolling Stones ranks this as the 15th greatest of all time. The Ringer ranks it as fourth. And part of it is there's just so many great songs with so many great moments. You know, think about when Henry Hill takes Karen on their date into the Copacabana and it plays Then He Kissed Me in that amazing one long shot where they walk all the way from his car down through the through the underground entrance, through the kitchen, through the, the crowded auditorium. They get a table and put it right in the, in the center stage. It's an amazing, beautiful shot. And part of it is the music accompanies the emotions that Karen has as she's falling for Henry in this moment and impressed with this guy who is tipping people with $100 bills and things. He's a big shot and it's pretty cool. And that song with that cinematography have created what I would say is one of the most memorable shots in cinema. You know, I also love when the acoustic version of Layla plays, when we watch all the dead gangster killings and it goes from the long shot into the meat truck where we go up the ramp, down past the, the meat and we see a deceased carbone hanging on a hook. But my very favorite, oh, I love it, is when it plays Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. When Jimmy finally decides that he's going to kill Maury. It's that long take, zooming in on him, sitting at the bar while he takes the drag of his cigarette. You can see it in your mind, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, oh, it's amazing. Um, what's even more amazing about it is Scorsese does something very similar when he did a similar shot with Robert De Niro in Mean Streets 15 years earlier. But this, he perfected it in every way. And in, in my mind... This might be bold. I think that may be my very favorite shot in cinema history. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And part of it's the music. And obviously Scorsese has done this with Mean Streets. He did it with Wolf of Wall Street. This is a component to the way that he tells stories. He's just a genius and knows the power of song and music in selecting what he's showing and, and how he's using it to contrast what he's showing on screen. It's really beautiful and I love it. So here we go. Final Number one soundtrack of all time for me. Drumroll, are you ready? Fast Times at Richmond High from 1982. Directed by Amy Heckerling. Written by Cameron Crowe. I love the music in this movie because again, the music makes the movie for me. The soundtrack to this actually peaked at 54 on the Billboard Top 200. It's all 80s music through and through. If you want to remember or you want to know what life was like in the 80s, watch this movie. It's like popping in a time machine and going back to 1982. We got the beat by the Go-Go's plays when we we're watching all the different characters interact with their different friend groups at the mall. We get Jackson Brown's somebody's baby playing when Stacy loses her virginity at the baseball diamond the first time. I think it's such a powerful scene. And part of the reason why it's so powerful is the music that they are listening to, that we are listening to at the same time. And of course, the creme de la creme, Tom Petty's American Girl. <laughs> 
Oh, I love the scene. The, the guy throws the toilet paper up at the school and right as it comes down, boom, it kicks in with, with American Girl. And the music is iconic. The soundtrack also features music from Donna Summers, Led Zeppelin, The Cars, Oingo Boingo, Sammy Hagar. Just really amazing, quintessential 80s music. Every scene for me is defined and memorable because of the music, which was so perfectly synced. The events and the characters. And we remember this movie, I would say, and we remember scenes in this movie, I would say, because of the music selected by the directors. So as I said, I wasn't going to keep you long because let's not kid ourselves. I don't think you wanted to really sit here and listen to me talk by myself for too long. So hopefully that was long enough. Point is, I wanted to address that request from our listener. These are what I think are some of my favorite movie soundtracks. So I don't know what your opinions are, but hit me up on social media and let us know what you, if you agree with me, probably not. Am I wrong? <laughs> probably not. But you're allowed to, you know, try and prove a case to me if you'd like to. I got 10. What do you think's not on the list that should be? What do you think I forgot? And what do you personally really love? What are the movies that you love because you think that the movie makes them? Tell me, hit me up. So. As D-Man would say, that's it. It's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Make sure you check out our website, filmmakerscompass.com. All our episodes are listed there. You can also connect with us on social. You can follow our show at Film Comp Podcast. You can follow D-Man at Big Kid D-Man. And you can follow me at NDCal5. This is all I got for you, folks. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Let you let me know what you thought about my solo performance here. And reach out to D-Man and beg him to come back next week so you don't have to suffer through another one of these CP solo episodes. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you back here next week. In the meantime, keep watching movies.